This is KZRG Sports, and I'm Nathan Massey. We're going to go and get today kicked off with actually a little feel-good story. We've Obviously, you're probably asking yourself out there, man, we're not doing College World Series to start off with. Yep, like we mentioned yesterday, that has concluded. So we're going to start with something different here today. James Nail, I believe, or Nale, maybe, um, he made his debut last night for the Cardinals. And there's lots of people making debuts all across the country, different leagues. You may be wondering, why is this cool? He grew up a Cardinals fan. And I just kind of want to talk about how cool must that feel. I've grown up a Cardinals fan. I'm a baseball player. I can't even imagine how cool it would feel to not only make it to the pros. That's that's one thing in itself, right? And then you go through the aspect of the draft prospect or the draft process, maybe getting bounced around, maybe getting traded. There's so many different ins and outs between being an amateur prospect and actually making it to the pros, whether it's your debut or whether it's just any point in your career. What are the odds of just from an amateur prospect to not only making it, but making it to your favorite team and starting for them, making your debut with them at any point in your career? It has to be just astronomically low. The The odds are already insanely low just to make it to the pros. The odds are already pretty low to make it to college, right? And we see this, you see those statistics kind of go around like 1% make it to college, then 1% of that 1% make it to like, get drafted, then 1% of that 1% end up being good, and then so on and so forth, you get to Hall of Famers, right? So to be an amateur prospect, it's very stressful. You're going through all the different things. You're trying to perform. Like Your career rides on this each and every day. An injury can derail everything. As I mentioned, there's just so many variables on making it, right? The right coach, the right situation, the right person seeing you at the right time, your name, your performance, getting out there, everything. So just the craziness of accomplishing all of this and then finally making your debut, and it's for your hometown favorite team. I wonder, I mean, like this guy yesterday, he went out and he pitched for the Cardinals. He threw well. Cardinals won last night. So good job on him, but also like his family's there, his friends are there, which I know like a lot of friends and family when you're in those situations, like they always show it on ESPN or they always show it on like during the game cast of, oh, here's his parents in the stands watching him. Here's his reaction after maybe he got a strikeout or he's a hit or a home run or like football maybe after his first catch or basketball after his first basket or some big play in, in any sport really. But you're sitting there and these these kids, like these guys that are in their most of the time in their 20s, and there's just so much pressure on their entire lives, just that relief to finally make your appearance. But then when you get the relief of the appearance, you, of course, you want to perform in your first appearance, in your debut performance. And then your family and your friends are there. There's thousands of people in the crowd to begin with. And then afterwards, just the emotional and mental release that comes from that. It's got to be just one of the most liberating feelings ever. And obviously you want to continue that and clearly you want to continue to perform and maybe maintain a career and play your entire career for that team. And that's another thing that I've wondered about too as a professional athlete. Obviously, every kid grows up dreaming of playing for their favorite team. I mean, that's what I just mentioned. That's what we were just talking about. But when you get up there and you get drafted, so say I'm a Cardinals fan and I get drafted by the, let's just say the Red Sox, right? Obviously great. Great organization, tons of history, winning tradition, all that good stuff. So do I just immediately become a Red Sox fan? I mean, I think you obviously have to to an extent. 
I think that there's a pool for you to be a Red Sox fan just for that simple reason. And you obviously always love them. But do you just stop rooting? Like, would I just stop rooting for the Cardinals? Do you just stop rooting for your favorite team? Or is it one of those things where you just kind of always low-key, behind-closed-doors root for the other team to succeed? Like, maybe if your team isn't having a great year and y'all get bounced early in the playoffs or don't even make it, would it be wrong of me to still pull for my favorite team as a child growing up? I don't know. And that's something that doesn't always really get talked about. The only time that really gets talked about is maybe when a college kid is making his decision or sometimes you'll see where maybe like an NBA or MLB team, like player gets drafted to a certain team and their rivals was that player's favorite team back in the day and they'll kind of post the pictures of them with the other team's jerseys on just to rile fans up and I get that. But how quickly does that turnaround happen? How quickly is it kind of like a joke at first where you're like, oh man, I'm a, I'm a rival of my own favorite team now or is it one of those things where that team gives you that opportunity and your complete like your mindset just completely changes. You just have an overhaul of thoughts based on who you like and what you like. But as I mentioned, these guys are twenty something years old. You it's hard to just break twenty years of celebrating one team, rooting for one team, and now you're rooting for sometimes just a random different new team, right? Obviously it's not random once they draft you, but in hindsight, you know what I mean. And then especially if you get drafted to a rival or to a team that maybe during that era of that sport have consistently seen each other in the postseason and have a brewing rivalry, maybe not a historic one, but over a certain time period have hated each other. So how does that work for these guys? That's something I've always wanted to ask and something I've always wondered what would happen if I was in their shoes. What would I do? How would I take all of that into account and make my decision on my rooting? And maybe it's just as simple as, you clearly root for your favorite or for the team that you're playing for at all times because you play for them, which is abundantly clear. And then maybe if your team's not having a good year, as I mentioned, you kind of root for the other team. Like, uh, well, I like I got drafted by the Red Sox, but I was a Cardinals fan growing up, so I hope that they win it. And maybe it's just no big deal, and that's just something that happens all the time because there's zero chance that all these guys that are playing for these pro teams now just all conveniently rooted for the teams they played for their entire lives. And obviously, once you build a reputation with that certain team, if you have a long career with them or even the majority of your career with them, those probably become your favorite teams throughout the duration of your career. And then maybe the other one fades in and out here and there as you grow old, especially after your playing days are over with. But just kind of a just kind of a thing to think about. Like, I mean, you see it all the time. And like these these guys, obviously, they had favorite team. They enjoyed the sport before they played it. And they enjoyed the sport before they played it professionally. So just something that I've always kind of wondered and thought about and maybe that plays a role in a decision in their free agency. Like if you're a big name prospect or you're a big name player, you've got all these teams bidding for you. Would you be willing to take less money to go play for a team that you've rooted for your entire life and kind of dreamt of playing there as opposed to not taking the pay cut and just taking the, and following the money or maybe hunting a championship with a different team and all of, and still having a pay cut. Because I don't know. I feel like that would be a hard decision. I mean, if you threw three teams in front of me and said, you get paid the most, but you won't, the team won't be good here, right? And then this option, option two, you have a championship potential but less money. And then option three, medium, I guess, money, but it was a team that you wanted to play for growing up. That's a hard decision because obviously when you're making that kind of money, it's always cool to make more, right? Championships are the ultimate goal. 
But if you feel like you could be the hometown hero for your favorite team and and bring the championships along, earn that extra money as you continue your career, maybe you're the face of that rebuild or the face of that championship team in the years coming, then that would be just amazing. That would obviously combine the three options, but that's not always a guarantee. You never know how those things are going to play out. And so that would just be one of the hard, like very hard decisions. I mean, I respect the guys going through free agency sometimes. Sometimes not so much based on their decisions and my favorite team and what I think they should do. But speaking of free agency, we're going to move over to the NBA real quick. I want to talk about Kyrie Irving. Okay, Kyrie Irving has made headlines for years now. Even when he was in college at Duke, he was huge. Goes into the pros. He was the one of the first over or one of the first round picks. I believe he went to Cleveland, and then him and. LeBron and Kevin Love had their trio and won a couple championships, and then Kyrie got shipped off here and there and has moved around, bounced around since then. It's just been a lot of drama attached to his name, and now he's in Brooklyn with the net and then or playing for the Nets with Kevin Durant, and they've just underperformed since they got there. I believe James Harden's also up there. Let me just throw that out there as well. Don't want to forget him. Give him his credit. But they've just underperformed since he got there, and he was one of those people that. He had the potential to turn around franchises. He was somebody that they looked at as like, once you get this guy, others will come, which is obviously ha- is what happened in Brooklyn. Not sure of the order there, but I mean, they essentially ended up with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, which are all huge names, all big-time talents that sh- you would think would lead you to a championship. But then they just haven't, and they've underperformed. They didn't even make it that far in this postseason. He sat out most of the year due to all the COVID and the politics behind all of that. We're not going to get into any political s- statements here. But he made those decisions and that there were consequences to each decision he made throughout the year. And then they've just, he, he essentially played half the year and it's for tons of money. And I think he got docked some pay here and there. And then he came out the other day. This is something I thought was funny given the situation. So he opted in with his last year with the Nets for $38 million. And one of the quotes he had was, normal people keep the world going, but the, but those who dare to be different lead us to tomorrow. I've made my decision to opt in, see you in the fall, and then put his little tagline there at the end. So he just dares to be different by signing a $38 million contract. I'll be as different as you want me to be for $38 million. I don't really think that that's that brave of a decision. As I mentioned with the free agency free agency stuff a minute ago, that's obviously... Big decisions. People are like these are life, career, altering events and decisions being made, and I get the pressure that goes behind them. But don't try and make it some big, huge story on how brave you are or how you're standing out against others when you're signing a thirty-eight million dollar contract. There's a lot of people in this world that would do a lot of different things for thirty-eight million dollars. So I just think that that's hilarious. Something I wanted to throw in there. But on top of that, something that kind of surprised me with him opting in is the Nets. They came out and said that they would rather lose both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving before going through what they did last season. Because as I mentioned, they just underperformed. And these guys are getting paid, I mean, Kyrie, like I said, $38 million. I'm not 100% sure on what Kevin Durant's contract is. But you have essentially hundreds of millions of dollars invested in these guys over a certain period of time. And you're not getting the result that you want. And maybe it's not completely on them. Maybe it's coaching or maybe it's other team, other guys on the team. They don't have the role players they need. They don't have whatever it may be to succeed. 
But at some point in time, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And so for an organization to kind of throw it out there to say, hey, we would rather not have either of these guys on our team as opposed to having them both, and it doesn't matter the result here, then that's just something that's kind of shocked me and surprised me over time with him opting into this contract. Is just what was he... I mean, were the Nets just throwing that out there to maybe get other teams less interested, which I don't necessarily understand. I mean, maybe if he opted out free agency, they could maybe hopefully bring him back for cheaper. I get that. But at the same time, it just doesn't make sense to me why they put that out there and then he opted in. Why wouldn't the Nets just try and trade him or try and maybe do a sign and trade or, or get rid of him in some capacity or just tell him like, Hey, like we need you to opt, like we would prefer you opt out, which I guess that's the point of having a player option as opposed to a team option on a contract. But the Nets, I mean, I think that they've kind of been the most recent victim of the, the big three mantra or the super team building idea that we've seen essentially since LeBron came into the league and, or at least a few years after that was, I mean, shout out to LeBron. He, he did change the NBA. Um, but you saw this quick turn at some point in his career of, of the big threes, right? And obviously you had big threes before then. You had them in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. You had all these over time, and I get that. But the way that these big threes were formed was different. And I think one of the only big threes that we've kind of seen, I wouldn't really even call it a big three per se, was Golden State where the only person that they've added on big time through free agency was Kevin Durant, right? But they drafted Steph. I believe they drafted Clay. They've had Iguodala for a long time, and they've added role players to help them get to where they got. And obviously, they added Kevin Durant because, I mean, that's what everybody else was doing, and they won a championship with him. They also, I believe, lost one with him. But that's just kind of a shift that we've seen over time, and, and I think it's just kind of ruined parts of the NBA. Like, it's just become such a a super team league where you just feel like it's only there's only a certain amount of teams that can win and everyone else just doesn't really matter because you have to sign four or five big names or two or three big, big names and a couple of at least middle-sized names to even compete. And I get that that's the way that the sport goes, but I wish there was more parity in the NBA. I just think that it doesn't always work out how they want it to. And another example of this that we could see potentially is John Wall going to the Clippers. He'll team up with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George out there in L.A. be the other L.A. team. And we've seen that also on the other team in L.A. with the Lakers. Like you have LeBron and you have Russell Westbrook out there with him. And you've got older guys like Dwight Howard who was great at one point but maybe not as much anymore. And then you've got Anthony Davis out there who seemed to can't stay healthy. And it's just building these big threes just doesn't always work in the NBA as, as much as it seemed to for a good 10, 15-year span especially when you had LeBron go to Miami with him, D-Wade and Chris Bosh, then you saw it in Cleveland with him, Kyrie and Kevin Love. And you just see all these big threes forming all over the place, and some work and some don't. I guess that's just the nature of the beast there. But I'm kind of tired of it. I wish the NBA would kind of get back to more of a competitive state where any team could win, and you don't know, and there's five or six different options. There's not really like a two or three top team type deal. I mean, you look at like the NFL, the MLB, you see Cinderella's all the time. You go into college, you see Cinderella's all the time. There's obviously the guys that stick out, the number one seeds, the the top seeds in each region when you're talking about March Madness and college baseball. 
college football recently hasn't been as great. It's more of a competition to get into the playoffs, and then once the playoffs start, everybody kind of knows Alabama, Clemson, Georgia. Those are probably your only options right now. But the NBA has just come become so superstar-driven to the point where it's not healthy anymore, and you've kind of lost that, I guess, pizzazz of, oh, hey, we don't know who's going to win this year. There's favorites, but they could go down at any time, and it just doesn't seem like that really happens anymore. There's very rarely big-time upsets in the playoffs to the point where it actually affects them. As as of recently, it's just been, oh, this team got upset. They're still going to get beat by the Warriors. Or, oh, this team got upset. They're still going to be taken out by Boston or Miami or whoever it may be, the Bucks in Milwaukee. You see these super teams all over the place, and it's just not as fun to watch anymore, in my opinion. But hopefully we'll eventually get back to where either everybody essentially has these big three super teams and they're, it's actually competitive all the time, or maybe we'll get back to a shift of where they reward players for staying loyal to their teams and staying there long term, and then maybe these teams will have to be more draft efficient as opposed to free agency efficient. And I think they kind of did that a little bit with the super max compared to max contracts, but that's a lot. There's a lot of details that go into that. We're not going to get in that today. So hopefully we'll see that shift over the next few years. But another big headline, kind of a random one. I was scrolling through Twitter yesterday and I saw this scrolled past and then scrolled back. Cause I just wasn't expecting it. Adrian Peterson is supposedly set to box Le'Veon Bell in a heavyweight match late in late July, I believe July 30th. What? Like, that's just a random thing to do. I mean, both of these guys have played in the league as recently as, I think, even two, two, three years ago, three at most. I know Adrian Peterson played for the Titans a couple of years ago, maybe, or I think it was actually even last year. And then Le'Veon Bell, he's kind of bounced around. I know he's with the Chiefs for a little bit. I believe he may have went somewhere else after that for maybe a game or two or at least got signed, maybe didn't play. But just why are we seeing all of these big-time boxing matches? Like, boxing had kind of died off as a whole, as a sport. Once you kind of lost, like, the Floyd Mayweathers, you had, like, all the, the Manny Pacquiao's, they kind of had a good run in, like, the early, like, the 2000s, maybe 2010s, and it kind of, like, just lost a lot of its oomph, I guess you could say, behind it. And outside, and even then, it was mainly just the two top or three guys, like top two or three guys, and then it was just kind of unknown after that. But what we've seen, and I know, like the Paul brothers, if if you're familiar with them, YouTubers, kind of got popular and started doing boxing matches. Kind of brought like the they call it professional boxing. It's not very professional, in my opinion. I think it's just more of a show than anything. But it's still, I mean, it's bringing names, it's bringing viewership, it's bringing in the price. Uh, it's bringing in the prize purses. So I guess it works. But, I mean, we've seen, like, Nate Robinson boxed, I believe it was Jake Paul, and got cremated, just got flattened out there. And then he lost, I mean, people just lost respect for him after that, pretty much. I haven't heard anything about Nate Robinson since then. I don't blame him. I probably wouldn't be out there on social media if I had just gotten beat up by a YouTuber either. But we're seeing a big turn of these big names in sports and stuff going to these boxing matches. And I think, I mean, I guess it's cool. You kind of see what these guys can do outside of their primary sport. Usually you would tend to think that they would go for like basketball or baseball or soccer. Even I know like, uh, I believe it was Ocho Cinco went and played soccer a little bit professionally. It wasn't great, but at least tried it. But boxing has been the new thing over the last three or four years. And I think it was something we'll continue to see over the next few years. You get these big names, you get people who know these guys, 
and they are interested in their lives because they played for their favorite teams for so long, and so then it brings in viewership and the ad revenue and all that good stuff. So I understand that. But I wonder what point you, like, who brings this up? I, I wonder if it was Adrian Peterson's idea or Le'Veon Bell's or maybe somebody on their teams or maybe somebody just kind of brought the idea up to them. How did they even get to where they're boxing each other? I guess both ex-NFL players, I know there's quite an age gap between the two of them. But just kind of an odd thing, in my opinion, that I saw the other day. But we'll go ahead and get into my picks for the day. We did get back to even. We got back to 500 with the Cardinals last night. They beat the Marlins pretty handily. So we're going to go ahead and jump into it. I'm going to go with a a big matchup as far as divisions. We're going to go here. We're going to go Phillies and Braves. I'm going to take the Phillies in a little bit of an upset. I believe they're favored in the game, but overall records would indicate that the Braves should take this one. So I'm going to take the Phillies as a little bit of an upset here. And then Red Sox and Blue Jays are very close in their division. It looks like half a game decides between them. I'm going to take the Red Sox in that one. And then another big matchup for the night is the Astros and the Mets. I'm going to say, I'm going to take another, I guess in a way, upset because it looks like Houston's favorite. So I'm going to take the Mets over the Astros. So my games tonight are going to be the Mets over the Astros, the Phillies over the Braves, and the Red Sox over the Blue Jays. Those are my, I don't know if I change any of those, but those are my final picks. Okay. So Red Sox, Mets, and Phillies are my three picks. So we'll. I'll see y'all next time. We'll get we'll we'll continue to track how my picks are doing. So hopefully we go three and zero. Like I said, there's not a lot of necessarily just big championship series or anything going on. So we're trying to get at least two or three in there on, per episode. So I'm at five hundred. Let's see if I can separate myself from five hundred, and hopefully not go below it. But that's all I've got. This is KZRG Sports Talk, and I'm Nathan Massey.